Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. I'm your host, Jen Taylor Campbell. Today I'm with Doug Nolan. This is going to be a little bit different. Welcome, Doug. How are you? I'm well, Jen. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And we're both grammatically correct, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you you have a website, um, dougnoll.com. So everything will be in the show notes. But you have a really interesting business model that makes me super curious. And I want the listeners to really be able to understand what you do and how it can impact them because it's really pretty huge. I don't know where you want to jump in in your own parenting journey, how you switch from being an attorney to doing this. We can jump in kind of wherever you want. Well, okay. So let me start off at the 50,000 foot level. And then okay. we can, and, and also my passion for teaching parents these skills because, well, you'll know why. When, as we talk about. Yes. Good. So okay. I grew up, I just turned 72. Uh, I grew up, I grew You're up in great. Southern, thanks. I grew up in Southern California in affluence and was mm. born with a lot of disabilities, partially blind, partially deaf, two club feet, couldn't walk till I was three years old, bad teeth, left-handed. I was a mess, except I was born with uh, a really good mind. And that of course bred arrogance in me at a very young age, because that's the only way I could deal with all the emotional trauma that I went through. And I had very loving parents, but um, absolutely unable to support me emotionally and didn't, of course, nobody has the skills that we're going to be talking about. So I was pretty traumatized and pretty, pretty wounded as a result. But like everybody else, you learn to put up facades and make it all work. And, you know, I ended up going to Dartmouth College, Ivy League. And Nice job. I'm yeah. from New England. So there you go. There you go. Four years in, in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, and then yeah. back to California to law school and clerked for a year for a judge because I academically I did well in law school and then ended up in private practice in central California being groomed as a trial lawyer. I mean so much so that I joined the firm in 19 September 78 and tried my first jury trial in uh yeah it was October of 1978 six weeks Holy after God. I joined the firm <laughs> started practicing law I tried my first jury trial my second jury trial started in December of 1978 it was uh, defending a 36 million dollar securities fraud case against a Kern County farmer uh, and, uh, that was seven months in San Diego in federal court. And that's how I, my career began. And for, for the next 22 years, I was a hardcore trial lawyer, arrogant. I was just going to ask you, I was just going to say, where was Asshole. the arrogance? And, oh, okay. All right. I invented it freely. Were, uh, you I was, were a good attorney. I was really good. And people knew that I was tough as nails, but, uh, I put ethics above everything else. My word was my bond. And so I was highly ethical. But but very 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 tough and okay. in the mid so that's part that so now you got that picture now the next picture is that in the 1980s I picked up I started studying martial arts yeah yep yep I read totally, that about you yeah yep. ultimately earned my secondary black belt and yep. after my second degree I was about 40 years old my teacher said go learn tai chi well tai chi as a martial art is vicious and mean but it has two paradoxes that really changed my life the first is the softer you are the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are. The more oh. you are. So you had to be, you arrogant guy had to be soft and vulnerable. That's right. How, 
how wow interesting that he requested that i wonder why (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) as i got better at first i didn't compute i got better at it i get better at it and it finally seeped into my soul so then one day in the late 90s i was trying a case and the thought came to me what the heck am i doing in here so after that trial I had a long, I had a vacation planned, a river trip up in Idaho, a bunch of friends and I got a permit to run a Maine salmon and we're all whitewater people down here. And, and so I spent the week thinking about how many people I'd really served as a trial lawyer and could only count five people. And at that, that's when I made the decision, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do this anymore. Why did you feel like you only served five people in this career? Because when, when you look at civil litigation, especially in the business and commercial side where I work, uh, worked. Um, how many people actually benefited from, the, from going through a trial and winning the trial and their lives or their businesses actually were improved by the process? Mm. Only five out of hundreds. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I made the decision. I'm, I, I've got to find something else to do. Well, you know, the universe provides. Like I, I came back from that trip and was driving down out of the mountains to my office and I heard what turned out to be the only public service announcement on our local public radio station for a new master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies being oh. offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is one of the West Coast Mennonite universities. I knew about Fresno Pacific, but I'd never been there. But to make a long story short, I enrolled, I applied and accepted, enrolled. So for three years in the late 90s, I was a full-time master's degree student, a three-quarters time law professor and a full-time trial lawyer. Holy cow. But this is exact opposite of what you have been doing for all these years. That's right. Exactly opposite. And like polar. Master's, right. It, and it was the Tai Chi of, of attorneys. That's right. And the master's degree program completely changed my life. Um, I was tra- trained by the people who started the International Restorative Justice Movement. Um, I learned all, things that I'd never seen before and thought about, and it really changed my life. And, and, and I recognized this is my calling to become a peacemaker. So I left the practice of law in 2000. That's a long story. I won't bore everybody with it. I left the, I left the practice in 2000, opened up my mediation and peacemaking practice. The one skill I did not have, despite all the knowledge and now having two graduate degrees, is I didn't know how to calm down angry people. I had tried active listening. I tried nonviolent communication. I took every listening course out there. It was all garbage. Horrible. Terrible. Doesn't work. And Unfortunately, my brilliant mentors didn't have any good ideas either. You know, they were all brought up in the Gordon Thomas, Thomas Gordon active listening stuff in the 1950s. Right. So, but I had been studying neuroscience. I started studying the neuroscience of peace and conflict and emotions uh, long before anybody knew what neuroscience was. And I, in fact, I wrote the very first academic piece on the neuropsychology of peace and conflict. And um, so I was in a difficult mediation in 2005. And the thought came to me, listen to the emotions. And I did. And at the end, if it was this was a couple who had been divorced, were fighting over an $18,000 problem. And the anger in the beginning was incredible. Yeah. But at the end, the ex-husband put his face in his hands and started sobbing and looked across the table to his ex-wife and said, that's the first time you've listened to me in 25 years. They settled the case like that got up, held hands, walked out and had lunch with each other. Four hours before, if there had been knives on the table, there would have been blood on the floor. And my jaw dropped. Yeah. Two years later, now I started, but I knew what I'd done. So I started practicing it and working it and very scary for me to do this stuff. Um, I'll describe in a moment what I did. Uh, And 
every time I got into a difficult mediation, I would go back to this idea and it worked every single time. And then two years later, Matthew Lieberman and his lab at UCLA came out with a brain scanning study showing exactly why this technique called affect labeling works. So now I have the science to support the practice. I love the science to support it. I love when you have the science to it's back amazing. it. Right. Yep. Yep. And now I had a technique that works hands down every single time without fail always works without failure and an explanation a brain science scanning study that shows why what happens in the brain when you yep. do this totally counterintuitive and counter-normative to everything i've ever studied before but it worked now let's fast forward 2010 my dear friend and colleague laura coffer and i start the prison of peace project and we were called into the largest most violent women's prison in the world to teach life or women serving life sentences how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence. One of the one of the incarcerated women wrote us a letter and asked us to come in. We said yes. Took us a while to get through the bureaucracy. Took us a while to build a curriculum, but our foundational skill was this skill, listening skill, affect labeling that um, that I discovered in 2005. That was our the foundation to everything to turning them into powerful mediators and peacemakers, and it was absolutely phenomenal. The I want to pause just for a second because mm -hmm. you won several awards. You stopped practicing law in 2000, right. but you earned best lawyer in America right. in 2005. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I mean, you have like it's, all of these it's accolades. All, it's all BS. <laughs> well, but I think yeah, I got a lot of recognition, national okay. and recognition by my work. But to me, <laughs> to me, he said, oh, yeah, so what? Um, okay. Uh, it's not about me. It's about the people I serve. Except and, you were serving them in a different way that was making a positive difference well, and eliminating issues instead of as a trial lawyer where you exactly. felt like, you, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, well, anyways, to make that long story short, today, Prison of Peace is in 30 prisons around the world. We're going to probably triple. We put during the pandemic when we couldn't go into prisons, we put we filmed our entire curriculum using our trainers who were incarcerated, we trained them as trainers when they were incarcerated. Now they've been released and we use them in the film, in the filming. And, and we're done with it now. We're just finishing up the manuals. And we're gonna, we got, we're in, we got 14 prisons in Greece. Uh, okay. I don't know, 20, bunch of prisons in California, prisons in Connecticut. We got startups in Nairobi, Italy, uh, Denmark. And now that the curriculum's done, we're gonna be able to roll this out around the world. So we're really excited about that. I mean, yeah, that's huge. So do you have kids of your own? I don't. That's so fascinating. Okay. Uh, um, for a lot of different reasons, but I want to, now I want to talk about, that's yeah. the back. Now I want to talk about yeah. why I'm here and what, why I'm so passionate. So first of all, of course, working in prisons. Work, I yeah. worked in the darkest prisons in the world. I worked at, for three years, I worked in corporate and state prison, teaching gangbangers 100 feet from Charles Manson's cell. This is the, right. the most right. secure prison in the country. And these people were um, all very ex extremely violent men. Yeah. And they all transformed. But one of the things that I learned was why they became violent. And it all had to do with their upbringing. Murderers are not born, they're bred. And that got me really focused on parenting. Um, so let me talk about what I've learned and what yes. I see. So the basic skill of affect labeling is learning how to listen to the emotions of your child 
and reflecting back those emotions with the use statement. So basically the, the three-step process is ignore the words. Doesn't matter what your child is saying, ignore them. Okay. Uh, read the emotions, which is very easy to do and reflect back the emotions with a use statement, age appropriately. You could take it even a two-year-old. You could say, yeah. you're really angry. You're frustrated. You're tired. You don't feel heard. You don't feel listened to. And there's a way to do this categorically. And you okay. do this until the child says yes. And when the child says yes, immediately calms down. Tantrum is over. And now you can, if the consequences need to be applied, you can apply consequences or you just let it go. So uh, I did. That I seems did, I really easy. It is really easy. <laughs> I've got a demo. I, I No, I did. I have a YouTube uh video that I posted in 2015, I used my okay. niece and nephew as actors in the video, and it's had over 80,000 views. How to Calm an Angry Child in 30 Seconds or Less. So anybody who wants to see how this works, go check out that YouTube. Um, what I have found and what the research shows is that when you are an emotional coach for young children, and you do this, you affect label them, you label their emotions whenever they have any emotional moment, whether they're happy or sad, or it doesn't matter what the emotion is. Children are, well, all human beings are emotional. We're 98% emotional and right. rational. Children are particularly emotional. Okay, there's so much to talk about here. Yeah, I know, I know, it's okay. Um, so, okay, first of all, we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Forget rationality. We are not rational beings. Humans are not rational. We've been lied to for 4,000 years. Neuroscience is clear that we are emotional beings and with only small pieces of rationality. And yet we've been fed this lie that human nature is based on rationality. We've got to get rid of that idea. It's destroying us and it's destroying the children. Children and adults are emotional. The second thing we have to learn is that we are not born with emotions. Okay, we have okay. to construct emotions. Emotions are cognitive constructs that we start to create at about 18 months of age. I mean, if you think about it, the emotional centers of the brain aren't even online until about 18 months of age. The brain isn't mm. even mature enough to create emotions. We're born with something called affect. We have nine basic affect that we're all born with. Okay. And we take those nine affect, which are basically feelings of pleasantness and unpleasantness, and we mix and match them in intensity and duration like an artist palette to create this infinite number of feelings that we can have, physical feelings, experiences, and those we call emotions. Okay. The parent's job is to coach the child who is trying to build an emotional database, is to coach the child in that process. All parents fail at this because they don't know. And how do they fail? Think about this. When you were two years old and you were running around outside and you fell over and skinned your knee, what were you told? It's okay. Just basically walk it off. That's right. You're okay. So pull on your big girl panties. Don't cry. It doesn't hurt. For guys, it's stuff like rub dirt in it, you know, suck right. it up, buttercup. We, we emotionally invalidate mm. our children from the time they start to walk. Mm. If they have a bad emotion, we tell them not to have that emotion. That is so destructive. It is the most insidious, pervasive form of emotional abuse that exists. And it's everywhere and it's all the time. Have you heard of the ACEs study? I don't know if I have okay, or let not. Me, let me tell you really quickly. Okay. The ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. It's a longitudinal study out of San Diego, okay. out of Kaiser Permanente. They okay. looked at, they took a database of their Kaiser Permanente patients in San Diego County, sent them all questionnaires and evaluated 
what their childhood experiences were versus their medical outcomes later in life. And what they oh, found, okay. What they found was that if you have three ACEs, three adverse childhood experiences, you are 10 times more likely to be drug addicted, smoke cigarettes, have a divorce, go to prison, um, die from a whole series of horrible diseases at a very young age. Okay. Direct link between emotional, emotional abuse in, in childhood and comorbid, comorbidity later in life and lousy social relationships. And of the nine different basic adverse childhood experiences, seven of them are emotional. So emotional invalidation is directly tied, and there are other studies that directly tie emotional invalidation into really dysfunctional lives as adults. And the worst thing you can do as a parent is tell your child not to feel, mm. not to have an emotion. And the reason that we emotionally invalidate is because we're really soothing our own anxiety around that child's emotions, because we don't know how to, we don't know how to regulate our own emotions. So we get anxious. The child gets upset, starts to cry. We get anxious and we say, stop doing that. We're doing that not to correct the child, but to make us feel better because our brain is telling us if you can get that child to stop crying, you'll feel better yourself and you want to feel good. So it's extremely selfish. So fascinating because I've um, always yeah. felt like you're doing it to make them feel okay. No, no. Okay. So here's the science. Now that's the bad news. Here's the good news. <laughs> that's a lot of bad news. This, is, the good news. this, is, this okay. is what should motivate parents to start learning these skills. The science shows that if you start affect labeling your children at a very young age, say two, three, four, five, by the time they're 12, they're academically, on average, two grade levels ahead of their peers. They are wow. resilient, they're emotionally intelligent, they're socially capable far beyond their years, their maturity is off the, off the charts compared to their peers because they've been able to have, their emotional brains have been properly developed by their parents. And the science is irrefutable. So if you want resilient, emotionally intelligent kids who academically are superior to everybody else, guess what? Become an emotional coach as a parent. It's that easy. And all you really have to do is affect label the child every time the, every time the child has an emotional experience. Never, ever punish a kid who's emotional. Just don't do it. You're, all, you do, all you're doing is destroying that child's brain. I'm not saying don't punish. I'm saying don't punish when they're emotional. De-escalate. Okay. De-escalate. Okay, okay, okay. De-escalate them, then talk about consequences. But never, ever, ever punish a child who's emotional. Because what that child will learn is it's not safe to express emotions. They'll repress their emotions. And now, and, and they will become wounded. And they'll turn out like me, like I used to be. Oh. They'll find they'll find ways of they'll either become pleasers or they'll become arrogant or they'll become narcissists. I mean, at, at all different continuums. I mean, some some just a little bit and some at horrible extremes. And or they'll become sociopathic, like the people that I train in prison. Right. And and it's all due to, <clears throat> in my opinion, it's due to the fact that parents did not were not emotionally competent themselves and therefore had no way to raise emotionally competent children. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. I mean, when I came into parenting, my goal was to do a much better job than my parents had, which was a pretty low bar. Super, like I didn't have to do much to be better, <laughs> right? Very low bar. And I wanted to do a great job. I mean, my goal was to be a great parent. And it didn't take long before I realized 
I'm dysfunctional and I'm raising kids that are like, even though I try to be great all the time, I was hurting them. I was a big part of the problem, even though I was trying so hard to do a good job. And that's the way most people are. And all kids are damaged and dysfunctional and not knowing how to do it differently or better. That was probably the hardest part because most of my kids are adults now was knowing that I really felt I'm not doing it the best that I could. And I think I was a great parent and did a great job. And it was, they were my, my top priority. And I know I screwed it up every day. So that it's real hard pill to swallow when you're like, I want to do a better job. And I look at my kids and I'm like, I want you to do a better job than I did. And I hope that that bar is just set higher, but that doesn't mean we know the how or the what or the when or anything. And I teach a lot of people these skills and all I'm almost always have parents with children. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And and they always come back feeling guilty and shamed that my God, I'm ruining my child. And I said, don't feel the shame. This is brand new knowledge. Right. right. Knowledge has not been out for even 12 years. And, and I'm the only guy out there talking about it. Right. Um, So don't beat yourself up. Now, you know, change your behaviors, change the way you're raising your children and become their coaches, their emotional coaches using affect labeling as your primary go-to tool and watch the change. And I get emails weekly from parents who, who, rave they said how did they ever get along without this it's amazing the transformations um it works with kids with asperger's it works with kids on the autism spectrum i mean you can have developing disabled kids and this still works beautifully which would have been great to know 24 years ago (laughs) almost all my kids are adults now but i can see how even with adult kids because it doesn't matter this isn't about kids this is about anger or or someone someone having anger and all those negative emotions and it's not just kids that have those because you worked in mediation to start off with it wasn't with kids so even with adult kids I can think of situations where I am super curious about how handling it differently will make a significant difference makes a huge difference all you have to do so you're a doula you're dealing you're dealing in some intense situations childbirth right right um you know you can, I tell people, don't take my word for it, experiment. So right. For, you're, you're, you're counseling a young woman who's pregnant and you're going to, you're the doula and you're part of your job is to teach, of course. So just, just listen to your client mm. in the beginning and then just reflect back all the emotions that she's having. She's going to be anxious and she's going to be worried. She's going to be scared, especially if it's a birth childbirth and she's going to be, and she's excited um, so she's got all these emotions rolling through her. Plus she might have other issues underneath like anger and resentment and frustration. She might not feel supported or appreciated. She might feel disrespected. Depends on her relationship with the father. Right. Um, so there are a lot of different emotions. It's a highly emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And if you just re- help her reflect, you reflect back to her, tell her basically what she's feeling. Um, she will relax and feel like you really get her. And feel like you really understand and she'll trust you and the process will be much, much easier. Just try that and see what happens. Oh, I can't wait. I work with um, adoption and bereavement a lot. And okay. when a woman's lost a child, there's, uh, yeah. Horrible. So, so there you, again, you're going to affect label the grief, the sadness, the loss, mm-hmm. the, the anger, because there's going to be anger involved in that. And maybe the lack of support and lack of appreciation from family members, you know, people think get over it, right. They're invalidating her. <laughs> even yeah. Though she's oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. 
really deep emotions and the people around her don't want to be around it because it makes them anxious and they don't know how to respond. To they deep don't breathing. know how to respond that, you know what, that's a great example because with kids, kids don't act at all. Like they just fly off the handle in what seems like no, for no reason. Um, and yeah, <laughs> there's the, something to say about that. They have ahead. a very good reason for flying off the handle. It's not rational, but right. understand that in order for them to develop emotionally, they have to experience a full range, the absolute extremes of emotion. And that's why a two-year-old in one moment can be a charming little angel and the next moment be a raging devil. Why? Because the brain is trying to experience what are the far extremes of emotional experience. They have to go through that experience in order to come to the middle and be balanced and self-regulate. We look at it as uneducated parents, uneducated people say, this is a crazy, this is a crazy little monster. What do I do? If you approach it from the coach's perspective, you say, oh, this ch she's tired, she's upset, and now she's going to use this moment to test the extremes of emotion, which is going to be really unpleasant for her, but not unpleasant for me because I know what she's doing and I know how to manage this, and I'll just calm her down. And it'll be a little, little learning moment for her, whether she's sitting on the floor in the supermarket aisle going crazy or in the car or at home. I'm just going to be present with her. I'm going to label her emotions, help her get it under control, and in 90 seconds, she'll be fine. Not a problem. So uh, I love this that you're teaching. In this instance, you're teaching the parent to self-regulate their emotions, to not be triggered. Here's the, here's the beauty. Okay. If you, if you, as a parent, you take the time to start labeling your child's mm -hmm. emotions, you yourself will develop emotional self-regulation and emotional self-awareness. It will come automatically to you. Okay, got you, it. Yes. All, all you have to do is focus on your child's the emotions, child. reflect them back. You will grow yourself. You will reprogram your own brain. I want to make sure... I'll make sure later that I have that specific video from 2015, like as a separate link. So people don't have to look for it. I'm right. dying to know about your training and I have not looked on your website to figure that out. Um, you're saying it's easy. You've like, basically you've done all the legwork and made all the mistakes <laughs> and figured it out. I got like, thank you for not having us reinvent the wheel. Can you dive into the training you do for people in general, not just parents? Right. So, so I'm absolutely dedicated to teaching people these skills because not only have I transformed lifers, by the way, every, every student of ours in prison of peace that's gone through our program that's been released on parole has never reoffended. Holy cow. That's how powerful this is. Okay. And that's thousands and thousands of people who have been. Holy cow. Peace released on parole in California after going through our program and su successfully completing it. Um, it's, it's absolutely amazing how powerful this is. But the training, the, okay, so the, there are all kinds of different ways. The, I've got online courses. Right. The, the emotional competency course is where people start. And I've got a link that I, I'll give you in a moment uh, sure. where people can access this stuff. But the basic emotional competency course and the advanced emotional competency course, if, you're, if, you, if you like doing online training, it's about eight and nine hours of videos where I'm taking you step by step by step, starting at the high level, looking at a little bit of the science, looking at Western philosophy, trying to understand why is it that we're so screwed up? And then, okay, okay now what's the corrective? And take you through, I always tell people, take it with a partner, use it, take it with a trusted friend. Okay. Because there, there's a workbook that comes along with this and you do the exercises 
And you need two people to do the role plays because you're going to be practicing on each other as you get through it. So that's one level. The, and you can also buy my book, Deescalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, which you can, I'll give you the link and it's all on the webpage. Okay. Um, and then, of course, if people want to do um, group coaching, I do group coaching and they're, um, they'd have to email me because I select, only select people for that. And then, of course, I do, I can do private coaching okay. for people who want to spend more money and really get this stuff down. And then I also, of course, do um, group trainings, workshops for organizations of all different kinds. Mm -hmm. I was so just lots in Indianapolis of different options. Oh, you did? Yeah, a lot of different, lot of different, oh yeah, I was in Indianapolis teaching 30 school principals how to de-escalate angry parents and students. Thank goodness. Oh my gosh, that, yeah, so and they, that's, they that's where a lot of stuff is starting too in the school systems. Right. You have, right. you have parents everywhere. failing and then they go to school and the parents are relieved they get a break, but they're not, it's not, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so exactly. for a parent, so, for a parent who wants to, be able to do a better job on their kids they could do that online training would that be Absolutely. the best or yes well i mean <clears throat> it depends it depends on how you learn i'm putting in the uh oh excellent the, we're chatting uh, coming oh okay yep um so it depends on how you learn i mean some people are really good at picking up something from reading a book some people like doing video yeah. training on their own time and their own privacy, as long as you do it with another person. Some people would prefer to have, you know, have me train them individually. Some people would prefer mm -hmm. to be in a, a group session. Some people prefer to be in a workshop with follow-ups. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, there's just a whole bunch of different ways this happens. I want to make sure I get that right. So can you, I want to kind of finish up with, you're doing a lot of initiative with prisoners and now, and you're hitting school systems. What's kind of your goal in getting this training out to, I mean, podcasts, obviously, like you're talking about it. You're right. out there a lot. You, right. you've, you've gotten a, a big following, lots of accolades. The good thing about the accolades, you may think they're all crap and no big deal, but it gives you a certain exposure level. That's really important. And I think, <laughs> okay, what, good. No? thank you. So I am having worked in prisons for the last 13 years in the darkest places on the planet. I mean, yeah. working with lifers, you, know, you don't become a lifer because you're a nice person. Um, you've killed somebody as a general proposition. Mm. So uh, I'm just absolutely devoted to, to eliminating prisons. And I think the way we eliminate prisons is by parents learning how to coach their children as emotional coaches. We, it starts with the family. Okay. Every dollar we invest in young parents working with mm. young children will save us thousands of dollars down the road. Now I'm going to say something that's a little unhappy and, but okay, that is okay. I have been marketing to parents for a couple of years now. I have found zero interest in my work from parents, zero interest. I had a whole marketing program. I did, I was on Facebook. I mean, I've reached hundreds of thousands of parents, zero interest. I can't understand why. Okay. Um, my program then was called the parents game changer and nine bucks <laughs> and you can get started in this stuff i'll totally buy that one you i'll, know, I'll I mean, jump in on that one i mean right. it was amazing but i i mean i can't i've had a hard time penetrating the parent mindset about how critical these skills are for the fan for families 
and it, it's transformational. It will absolutely change you as a parent and your children forever. It will even trans. It'll even it, it will go generationally. And I'll just share one other story. Yeah, so, yeah. One of the first women we trained back in 2010, eventually got out, got married, has two little boys. Um, Laurel is like a second mother to her. And and one day last summer, Laurel told me this story. One day last summer, Anne. Uh, uh, Anna called Laurel and said, can you, can you take the kids of my husband for a couple of hours? I got stuff I got to do. I got to get them out of the house. And Laurel was thrilled. She said, of course, bring them over. So they came over and they were, the kids were playing in the backyard and Laurel and father were just chatting and Laurel was watching the kids. They were affect labeling each other. Oh, oh my and gosh, that's awesome. Five, six years old, Anna had taken everything we taught her in prison. She brought it into her family and the kids were affect labeling each other. You're really angry. Yeah. You're really frustrated. Yeah. It was, and Laurel called me and we were both beaming right. because that was exactly what we wanted to have happen. Wow. That's like taking it. Well, they'll, mo kids will model anything. That's they'll absolutely model correct. They'll model anything. But Anna, right. Anna was using the skills that we taught her long before she was married and had children. And, and right. she saw the power of these skills. In her own life. Yeah. And she was a trainer, a top trainer in, in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, training other women how to do this stuff. And she's a total advocate of this stuff. And so, I mean, I'm just telling you that it's it, once you get it embedded into a family, it becomes it, it's 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 just such a powerful transformational change that occurs. Wow. And so my message, if you're asking me what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get as many parents as I can to learn these skills. To stop it at that level. Yeah, let's start with parents because if we, if I could get, just hypothetically, we could get thirty or forty percent of the families in North America to be affect labeling their children, we would reduce our prison population by at least fifty to sixty percent. And right now in California, just for by way of example, we spend more money on prisons than we spend on our entire university system. I would have to say I would think parents would be hesitant to like people should be running and signing up. I think they're hesitant because the mirror is a really scary place to look at. And a lot of parents it's, and it's not about them. And you've said that several times. Cause my first thing was like, so we regulate ourselves first. No, you just are regulating the kid. You will happen on your own. And I think if parents realize that it's not about them, it's not about their parenting. It's not about being a bad parent or them having inappropriate emotions it's all about focusing forward on the child they wouldn't be intimidated by doing it and so that's the only reason i can imagine right. that parents would be at all adverse because nobody likes to be they we already feel guilt and shame we right. already know we're screwing it up especially if you're a good parent we don't want more of that we right. put a lot of it on well, oh Doug, me, what an amazing thing go what, ahead what would it be like to end all fights and arguments in your family forever <laughs> Never have another fight or argument with your spouse or with your kids ever again in your life. What's that worth to you? That's what these, that's how powerful these skills are. You will never have a fight or argument. I've been married, my second marriage. I've never been happier. It's an amazing marriage. My wife and I, we've been married for 13 years now. We never fight. We, have, we don't argue over anything. We're, and we're not passive aggressive restraining. If we have an issue, we talk about it. And we have to label each other until we all are heard. Right. Perfect. 
Would you say the best partner would be the husband if you could get both parents to sign up? Because in the training, you said you need a partner. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this. Okay. If, if, if you have a solid relationship and, you're, and you, you understand that learning these skills is going to mean a lot deeper intimacy in your relationship, and you're prepared for that, you're prepared for the scary part, which is the emotional intimacy that's going to be created, then yes, do it right. with your partner. But if okay. you're, if, but if you're like most people, you have intimacy that's probably in the shallow end of the pool. It's not very deep. Um, then do it with a trusted partner, not your partner. Learn the skills yourself, and then slowly introduce it into your relationship. And they will model it. They'll start to model it. The kids will model it, and you'll uh, model it, and eventually your your um, partner will model it too. We'll, right. we'll pick it up. And right. then, and then, if you wanted to introduce it, just hand them the book. Read this book. What, what the people are going to ask? Well, what are you doing? You're doing something very different. Right. Yeah. Here, read the book. Here's the course. I signed up for it. You can take the course, and I they don't have to sign up for it again. Just give them the login and have them go do the course. But you got to lead yeah. into it. And pe people are really yeah. afraid of people are really afraid of emotions because they're all we're all traumatized. Emotions are yes. painful. They hurt. And we all carry this around. Well, I used to, I don't anymore. But, and here's the beauty of it. You do this work and all that pain goes away. It's great. Um, and so we're afraid to dive into that because we feel incompetent. Yep. We feel like we don't, can't control this. It's out of control. Right. We have a whole kinds of social norms around emotions are bad. Rationality is good. It's all bullshit. And we got to get rid of it. Um, if you want to live a fulfilling life, a satisfying life, be truly happy then you have to gain emotional mastery. And the fastest way to gain emotional mastery is to learn how to affect labor, in my opinion, in my experience. Doug, thank you so much for being on and sharing. This has been really incredible and far different than I anticipate, which I love. I love that. And I really love getting to know you a little bit and learning about this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.